You're listening to a special edition Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting the pace earlier of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number of Fed officials. banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta's Economy Matters podcast. I'm Raphael Bostic, President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, and it's distinctly my pleasure to welcome you to another edition. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about networks. And as you probably are aware, you have networks, either professional or personal, and they are quite important to your lives, and they're important to how uh, we work. And uh, we have a a number of scholars who uh, have started to look at the issue of networks, and I'm very pleased to have one of the leading ones with us today. We have Matthew Jackson of Stanford University. He's a professor who works on this. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you, Raphael. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's, it's really good to have you here. You know, your interests are in game theory and microeconomic theory, a lot of super technical stuff about how it all fits together and how these structures operate. But there are also a bunch of really interesting angles and perspectives that are, that are really relevant for how we live on a day-to-day basis. And I'm really grateful that you're here so we can try to unpack a number of these things. Now, as part of your work, uh, you've recently finished drafting a book. It's called The Human Network. So I actually read the textbook, the more technical <laughs> one, with all the math. Uh, but this human network book is really to talk, tell us a little bit about about what the plan was with that. So, so the idea is is that, as you said, a lot of our behaviors is impacted by networks. So our opinions, our opportunities, our outcomes, really are influenced by people around us. And and so understanding what that social structure looks like and how it impacts our behaviors is is really important. And so, in the book, I try to to look through what are the real drivers of, of behaviors in terms of what products we buy, wh- whether or not we educate ourselves, which jobs we get, whether countries go to war with each other, you know, how, how polarizes politics. These are sort of questions where structure, social structure is really important and trying to understand what we know about that and what we can say about how things are changing. What would you say is like the one big discovery that you've had as part of your research in terms of how networks function and operate? So from an economist's perspective, one of the most important things is what are known as externalities, that what we do impacts other people. So whether or not I choose to become informed about something, you know, do I learn about vaccinations? Do I do my homework on that? That ends up impacting what my friends end up knowing and what they believe. And so networks are are just littered with externalities. Pretty much everything we do ends up impacting other people through what we tell them, what we learn from them. And so fundamentally, there's a, um, a disconnect there and things can get very inefficient. So it might be that I don't you know, I end up not spending as much time learning about vaccinations as I should, and, and then my friends don't know as much as they should. And spending time investing, that produces a social good, which percolates through a network. And understanding exactly how that works is important. And I'll tell you, it's very interesting how we've started to see there are, you talked about vaccinations, how we started to see the return of a number of infectious diseases that used to be extremely rare. You know, it really does speak to, to the relevance of what you're talking about in, in, in real time. So in terms of big discoveries, that's one, that's one thing. 
Has anything really surprised you in terms of the research or the analysis or how the field has evolved? Um, I guess, you know, one of the things that's maybe it's not as surprising when you look at it from a personal perspective, but it's pretty striking when you look at it from a scientific perspective is how segregated our networks are. So when you actually draw out networks, you can begin to see communities. You can see people who connect with each other more frequently and others where there's separations. And those divides in networks are very prevalent. So no matter where you're looking at networks, if you're looking in high schools, you're looking in grade schools, you're looking in among professional societies, uh, whether you're looking at, at collaborations between different people, you know, you see these kinds of divides emerge. And they have profound pretty profound Im- implications. So it's, it's difficult to get information to c- spread across these kinds of things. You can have different norms emerge and different cultures emerge across these divides. And so that's one of the things that I think I hadn't realized how prevalent it really was and, and how striking it is when you look in. Well, I'll tell you, um, here at, at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, we're doing a lot to try to think about wage inequality differential access to jobs and capital and all those sorts of things. And you know what you're talking about with this issue of uh, segregated networks really speaks perhaps as an underlying driver of why we see a lack of social mobility. So we know that Atlanta, as this metro area compared to others in the country, sits almost dead last in terms of the ability of people from lower income levels to graduate up to higher income levels. And so, you know, there, maybe there's something um, that, that you, can, you can really tell us to help us figure out how do we structure uh, a response that, uh, that really gives people the full opportunity to, uh, to have access to participate in the American economy. Are there things that you've seen that we can use to really help break some of this uh, separation that, that, that exists in our networks? Sure. So, so I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of if you really want to understand inequality, immobility is, is a big part of the answer. And immobility comes because, you know, people are born into certain circumstances and, and those circumstances put them in a network of information and, and peers that makes it difficult for them to, to learn what they need to learn and to access the jobs they need to, to get. And it feeds back on itself. And I think there's sort of two aspects to it. One is the feedback effect so that if my friends aren't educating themselves, it's, it's not in my interest to do it for me. And, and th- understanding that feedback is very important. It kind of reinforces itself. Exactly. And that means that if you want a program that's going to lift people up, thinking on an individual level doesn't work. You have to think on group levels. And, and you have to sort of you know, move multiple people at the same time. And, and that's a better way of getting them to, you know, to move up. The other thing is that a lot of it is, is basic information. It's remarkable how people how ignorant people can be about what it takes to move up in, in terms of getting better jobs or you know, how valuable is an education. So if you're looking at somebody in, who's a teenager, they're not thinking deeply about the, the future of their life you know, two or three decades down the road. And so it has to be that there's people around them helping push them to, to do the things they need to do to educate themselves and to you know, to help give them opportunities. So listening to you actually reminds me of, of my own life, actually. You know, I grew up in a suburban community, and, you know, I was the first one who really had an opportunity to go to some of the, the, the best universities from my family. And 
we didn't know the importance of the PSAT in terms of getting access to scholarships and stuff. And it was a neighbor who had had two older children who had gone through the process who told us, you better get him to show up for this test because it's really important. And that was actually super critical. And it's all about this network thing. Exactly. And we were, in my family, we were one of the few African-Americans in our community. And we had just the good fortune to have befriended others from different backgrounds and different experiences that we could leverage. So it's actually very interesting on that. I wanted to actually turn uh, a, a little bit and sort of ask your, your perspective on you know, networks today. So networks have been around for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that, that exists for, for people in general. In, in fact, in, in your book, the textbook version, you, know, you started by talking about the Medici family in, in Florence and how they orchestrated a net, the creation of a network that put them central to everything that happened in, in Florence. Today, do you feel like networks are, are more important? Have, has, has it, have things changed? I, I'm thinking about like the rise of technology, which allows us to have much more distributed networks that engage. Like, do you have thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. And actually, a lot of what I'll talk about this evening in the forum is, relates to trends. I think that there's sort of, I would put it as two basic trends that are going on that are technologically driven in networks. One is that we're seeing denser networks. It's able, we're able to connect with more people and to maintain relationships at greater distances. So when you think about something like Facebook, you can keep in touch on a daily basis with friends who are living thousands of miles away and family and, and just the, the extent of our reach is, is much higher. And when you look at travel, you know, people are moving around the globe more. And so there, there's, that's shrinking our world and, and giving us a denser, richer network in some ways. But at the same time, I think there's a, a second aspect which is more subtle and, and more fascinating, which is that the search technology that's available today makes it easier for us to find individuals that we wouldn't have found otherwise. And that actually leads us to, to sometimes connect with people who are more similar to ourselves. And, and it can create echo chambers. It can lead to people forming tight groups sometimes at great distances that have very like-minded composition. And I, I think that that increased segregation in some ways is, is something that's coming along with a technology which isn't as obvious but is equally consequential. So that's, that's very interesting because it, it speaks to the rise of Breitbart in the news space or Black Lives Matter being able to, to perpetuate as far as possible, or even the white supremacist movement, or sometimes even a book club that can, that can persist and, and it has, can have profound impacts on, on our social discourse and how we talk to each other. You know, it, it occurs to me that there is an, potentially an intersection between fake news and the ability to propagate it quickly by tapping into particular networks as opposed to others. And so... Understanding how all this works seems quite central to understanding how we we're, we are or aren't getting along today. Right, exactly, and and I think you know the the technology has accelerated a lot of this. So the technology, you know, it's possible now to create a website and to make it look very real and to post whatever one wants on it and to form groups around very narrow uh, subject matter and very specific things and and attract interest in that and. It becomes more and more difficult as an individual to to tell what's fact from fiction, 
when you're being inundated from all different directions and and we don't necessarily have personal experiences with a lot of the things we're trying to judge and and make sense of so so i i think you know along with this sort of smaller world comes a, a lot of noise and an increase in noise and an increase in special interests and very specific groups forming and and it's it's not obvious how that all plays out this is an e- economics podcast so i want to make make sure we talk a little bit about economics we've talked to about applying this network theory approach to a lot of different aspects of the field, microeconomics, labor markets, political economy, urban growth, and how cities persist and grow. Do you feel like there's there's one part of the field where this is particularly appropriate to apply? I think understanding development is one area where networks, social networks in particular, have become very popular. And the idea there is that we're looking at trying to understand how people become informed about the many things around them and how how much they're influenced by their neighbors. So do they use the right fertilizers? Do they take up loans when they should take up the loans? Are they educating their kids? Are they investing in better um, health? Uh, so there's a whole series of things which are heavily dependent on people around them. And I think you know, development is probably the first area for this to happen just because it's an easy area to study this because you're looking at communities that are very well defined and very insular and it's easy to see what's happening. So if you go into, I've been working in India, I talked about earlier today, you go into a small village there, it's pretty well defined. But the same thing is happening in the developed world. So if you go into the suburbs of Atlanta or the inner city in Atlanta or in San Francisco and so forth, there's still communities of people that are all dependent on each other for these kinds of information and understanding exactly how that affects people's decisions and investments is is sort of one area that that's really been where networks have been growing quite dramatically in terms of the economic research. So I was talking to someone about tonight. I was really excited about having you here and and learning more about networks and and they asked a question about are social networks the same as economic networks? Is there a distinction that we should have in our head as we think about this? How do you think about that? There are uh, very big differences between some types of networks. So when we think about some economic networks, we could be thinking about the financial network, for instance. So we're thinking about which bank has which counterparties and which, you know, those counterparties have investments that affect the bank's uh, indirect exposure to risk. That's a very economic network. And it's one that still allows us to take basic understandings of things like contagion of disease, which is a very social and more human network, and, and apply those same tools and understand how a shock to one bank can propagate to another. So to some extent, the applications can be different in terms of the precise uh, actors that are involved and what kinds of relationships they're holding. But some of the basic principles and some of the underlying theory uh, and models are, are quite portable. And so some of the insights that we get about who's central, who's influential, who do we have to worry about, those concepts can be the same even though the specific applications are different. And it occurs to me that this is something that could be really relevant for us as we think about contagion in financial markets and runs on banks and all those sorts of things to the extent to which networks either amplify or or dampen mm-hmm. an impulse towards a particular type of behavior outcome. We should definitely be thinking more about that. Next, I wanted to sort of turn. I, I'm a psych, I'm a psychologist by training. I, mm-hmm. I did psych before I did econ. Okay, 
And uh, and so we talked social psych sort of when I was a freshman in college and and uh, all the ways that people interact and how those interactions uh, affect the, the, the fact that we're interacting affects the, the outcome and how the dynamic plays out. And I feel like these networks is, are very much like that. So economists are starting to really appreciate much more the soft parts of economics, how people interact, emotions, connectivity, and all that kind of stuff. But it is, it is something that has had a, a history in other fields. So are you working with sociologists and psychologists and maybe political scientists and trying to think about ways that we might uh, develop our, our models and our theories to be more, more practical? Uh, yes, definitely. So actually, you know, networks is very exciting because it's one of the most interdisciplinary areas of research in terms of it having applications in lots of different fields. And in particular, I've been working recently with um, some psychologists, for instance, uh, Sylvia Morelli and Jamil Zaki. And we looked at, you know, can, what kinds of personalities fill certain roles in a network? And, you know, if you, if you look at, for instance, a, a person who's very, very central and influential in a network of support and intimate trust, those tend to be empathetic people. If you look at people who are central in a much more open social network where people go to parties and, and hang out together, for instance, in a university, then those people tend to be more fun-loving and uh, happy people uh, as opposed to empathetic. So, you, you know, you can see different personality traits filling different roles I, in networks. I think some of the empathetic people might say they're happy too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, being part of a large organization here – I do think a lot about sort of what kind of networks we're fostering institutionally uh, to to allow us to be a more effective organization. Have you done much work in terms of organizational structure and and how catalyzing or shepherding networks can impact organizational performance? So it's it's actually something that you know you could think of social engineering to some extent, and and certainly within a, a company or organization, it becomes very important who's communicating with whom. And a lot of companies try to structure their teams and their internal workings in special ways by having certain powers and jurisdictions given to different entities within the company. But that doesn't necessarily correspond to, to what en- ends up happening in, internally. So people tend to you know, go to people that they think can get things done. And so the internal workings can be very different from the external or for, from the designed workings. Um, that's something that is is being studied mostly in management science and in other areas. It's not something that I've looked at personally in, uh, much, but it's certainly you know understanding the dynamics of networks means that we 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 can figure out how teams work and and try to do better and in, in getting more productive and more creative groups together. So, as a last question, I, I'm curious as to how how did you come to to be a network expert. Like what, <laughs> what brought you to, to see networks as a, an interesting thing worth studying? And tell us a little bit about that path. Sure. So I, I, my original training was in, in more uh, microeconomic theory and game theory. And I was having a conversation one day at lunch with a friend of mine, Asher Walensky, and we started talking about power. And we thought about, well, what, you know, what really is power? What, what does it mean and where does it come from? And it became clear that power comes from being able to mobilize other people and from having specific connections. And we became very interested in 
you know, who becomes powerful and how does that work? And then we started reading the sociology literature, which has is quite extensive uh-huh. on the subject. And our perspective was a bit different as economists because we think of a lot of relationships as ones that we choose. And so we started, you know, thinking about it from a, a more strategic perspective in terms of, you know, for instance, as you mentioned earlier, Cosimo de' Medici, um, how were the relationships engineered? Uh, who, you know, who did he marry his daughters to? Um, how, how did that work? And and who becomes powerful and how? And so then it just sort of opened a, a, a door to me, and I realized that economics had been very anonymous before. And, you know, a lot of the models are ones where you're not talking about the specific structure of who interacts with whom. You just, it's a market. And, you know, and markets you have, have prices. Agents, and, right? Exactly, exactly. And so the idea here was to, to take that structure much more seriously. And then once you start reading and, and learning more about this, then it became pretty obvious that this was you know, first order in, in terms of having impacts in our lives. It got under your skin, into your blood, and <laughs> exactly. we, we are the beneficiaries of it. Uh, I've been talking with Matthew Jackson. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation, learned some things. He's a professor uh, at Stanford University. He's an expert in networks. And if you are so moved, I would encourage you to go find his book. Actually, it's not done yet, is it? So It'll be out soon, hopefully early 2018. Well, that's good. Well, keep an eye out for it. It's called The Human Network, and it can give you a lot of insights into how networks work. Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Raphael. My pleasure. And that brings us to the end of another Economy Matters podcast episode. I want to thank you for listening once again and, and ask that you please visit the Atlanta Fed's webpage. It's frbatlanta.org. And on the webpage, you can find economic and banking information that might be useful for you, as well as materials on related topics uh, that we are working on here at the bank. Uh, So thanks again, and look forward to having you join us for the next edition. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.